1: Tune in to radical philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, <laughs> knowledge, evil, and rational argument, with words from Midgley, Caputi, Adams, Stewart, Wolf, and Hagen Gruber. Let's get radical about philosophy. <laughs> so much for tuning in to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host Beth Matthews. Today on the program I'm going to be speaking with Dr Karen Bell about a working class green movement. This is part two of a two-part interview. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What
0: are
1: the perceptions that environmental organisations are dominated by middle-class people?
0: I think middle class people struggle to acknowledge this. <laughs> For some reason, it makes them feel uncomfortable. And maybe they think it's a self fulfilling prophecy that if they say that, then they're not going to attract working class people, which they could actually have a point in that. But I think we have to own up to, well, in one sense, it's a myth, but in another sense, it's not. Because if you look at mainstream environmentalism and these recognize environmental organizations they have mostly been middle-class people involved in it Um there's been lots of commentary on that over the years and a lot of all my, my research is saying that but that doesn't mean that working-class people aren't environmentalists that they don't care that they don't try to be environmentalists in their everyday life and that they don't have their own kind of environmentalism which is what I've talked about—the trade union, health and safety, environmental justice, the community work that I used to do—which really doesn't get ever included in any discussions of environmentalism—it's just considered to be community work. So all those kind of things—that is environmentalism. But what is very middle class is this sort of mainstream version. You know, there's endless critiques of that and why that happens um you know it's like the things i said when working class people do turn up they're expected to fit into the culture and there are broadly speaking although the cultures are very diverse and complex in both cases there are certain cultures which are pretty stereotypically to do with that class it jars a little bit for people from the other class so say for example one of the things they used to do in the green part these green party meetings which i said they probably shouldn't do is they do like a a tuning in when people arrive at the meeting so when you arrive everyone's just sitting there in silence looking in their lap and i thought well that would really jar for a working class person because we don't have the confidence to walk into these spaces in such a Easy way that middle class people can do it's a bit intimidating for us. So, what you need is a welcome and some kind of normal behavior (laughs) so that people think, All right, this is safe. If you walk in and no one's talking and they're all doing something which is not normal or a bit weird, you're going to feel uncomfortable to start with, and then that could set up the tone for the whole meeting. So, for them, it's tuning in. For the insiders, it's tuning in. For the outsiders, it's WTF is going on here.
1: I suppose it's sort of a, a sense of entitlement by the middle-class people, is it?
0: Yeah, like I'm not listening uh, to a- anything and, and just making everyone fit into what they're doing. So, I mean, at the moment, we've got Extinction Rebellion getting a lot of press, um, and they have been criticised quite a lot by black and minority ethnic people, also working class people saying, you know, your big tactic is getting arrested. And that is that's just not going to work for me, you know, because I can't get a criminal record because I'm already suspected of being a criminal just walking down the street. Um, or the estate that I come from, or the or, you know, my my skin colour or my accent, I'm uh, suspected of being a criminal. So I can't explain away my CV later saying this was a bit of activism or something. It's not going to wash in an average kind of job. Well, I mean, they do come back XR and they say, that's okay. You don't do that. Then you do something else. Um, so they're coming back with an answer and yeah, fair enough. That is an answer. And I can't say myself that we should never do things that aren't illegal. I mean, I was, I don't know if you've heard of Greenham Common over in, australia but even though oh okay even though i'm from a working class background i did have a few years where i just sort of kind of knew that the things i was doing wouldn't get me anywhere but i felt so passionate that they had to be done so we had american bases like most countries all over this country and we had the cruise missiles not very far from where i was brought up i was brought up in a military town all the jobs were military and um So I spent some time uh, going backwards and forwards to Greenham Common, which was where the cruise missiles were being brought in from the United States. And it was a new technology and it seemed like worse than the other technology, although it was all pretty awful, to be honest. Um, And so we had a women's peace camp there and we camped there for years. I wasn't there all the time, but I was going backwards and doing illegal stuff like breaking into a military base and perhaps I shouldn't say that on the radio. because I never oh, But it, it
1: wasn't you, it was your friends, wasn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah, I never actually went to the court case in the end. But, you know, we were doing that kind of stuff, breaking into the base and all of that. And But I don't remember there being that many working class people there, to be honest. And I was only doing it really, I probably shouldn't have done it, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the good of myself. I shouldn't have done it. It didn't do me any good. I say that caused me a lot of stress and made it difficult for me to get work after, which I couldn't really afford to do because of my class background. But anyway, I did it. And so I think there is a place for it. And some middle class people say, well, I'm doing this because I can. I'm either retired or, you know, I can afford to pay the fine. I've got the right accent. They'll listen to me in the court. So, you know, I'll do it fair enough about that but they do other things which are sort of off-putting for working class people like it's just their message like when they say oh you could come and do this with us you know that aggravates people and they they stop them the tube trains in london so people couldn't get to work i mean some people will have lost their job over that because most working class people don't have jobs which are very forgiving (laughs) i mean now i'm an academic you know there's a bit of flexibility most things i mean i couldn't turn up late for lectures and some meetings but usually i've got some flexibility in my working day um and i'm not going to get the sack if i turned up late for a reason like that but if it was like a washing up job you would because there's thousands of other people they can get to do it and they just say oh you're unreliable you're out certainly if you've got an agency job when i used to do agency work you've only got to make one mistake and they never give you another job (laughs) you know you're out of work permanently as far as the agency is concerned so it's very unforgiving and it's a sort of sense that they don't understand that that is off-putting and what's concerning is that they can put people off environmentalism by doing that kind of thing which we don't need that we need everyone on board everyone we certainly do need everybody on board how are the attitudes
1: towards working class people preventing? the attainment of sustainability
0: well in that sense i just said if these organizations are not inclusive in the way that they speak and act then i think working class people are some are becoming alienated from environmentalism so they're just saying oh that's the sort of student type thing or that's a for the sort of for the wealthy or oh I can't afford to think about that or or really giving up I mean it's really surprising my recent research showing that some people are very very they've lost hope they do not trust the government and they're hunkering down so they've literally said I'm I'm collecting food and weapons and we're not a country which is big on weapons that was quite shocking to me um to look after myself because it's all going to go wrong and they've got no sense of trust in the government there's so many conspiracy theories now a lot of working class people are believing these theories I mean I don't know if they're right or wrong these theories but it's just the extent of them and a lot of people believing them Um, I don't know if the lockdown has encouraged it but I think it's been there a bit but it definitely seems more now and a lot of it gets focused on this type of stuff to do with the environment like there's no point in trying to change what the government are doing or get involved in political parties and all of that because you can't trust them it's not really in their hands anyway there's these other people pulling the strings you know these sort of mysterious forces which are uh well they're not necessarily mysterious sometimes they point the finger at particular organizations um who are controlling everything and we're just puppets we're just ants somebody said you know we're not we're neither here nor there and there's nothing we can do about it there's nothing we can do about it constantly constantly so i mean i was i had a lot of hope in this green new deal um which was if we had have got the Labour Party that we wanted, led by Jeremy Corbyn, a couple of y- years ago in the election or the 2019 election, it's all gone pear-shaped now. The leadership's changed. It's, it's not what it was then, what we hoped. But that's what the Green New Deal came out of. And it was it brought together all these social environmental issues. You didn't have to be an environmentalist or a social justice campaigner. It was all there in the Green New Deal. So. And most working class people have not still not heard about this policy, but you know it was about insulating the houses, cheap or free public transport, reliable public transport, so you didn't have to use your car. Make your life better and easier through environmentalism. You don't have to go and lay down in a road and get yourself arrested and dress up in a in a sort of red or anything the government will do it and we'll put public money into it and it'll come from making the rich pay their taxes and you know your life will be better and at the same time your children will have a future because we're addressing climate change you know so that to me is working class environmentalism at its best i mean there's working there's diluted versions of it coming out it's being twisted into other things but certainly the version coming out from Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez Jeremy Corbyn and John MacDonald and some of the other brilliant people that were surrounding him, Diane Abbott and those people, you know, they were all supporting this Green New Deal but unfortunately our election got sidetracked on Brexit (laughs) A whole other
1: interview I think
0: Yeah, which I've got nothing to say about Brexit by the way (laughs)
1: Okay, so can you explain about environmental policy makers?
0: Well, I'm sure in most cases their heart is in the right place. (laughs) But again, they tend to come from a middle class background. They're not really understanding the issues that working class people face. So you've got like the planners, for example. They do love to put... To have like these sacrifice zones of the working class areas, you know, we'll put we'll put the polluting stuff there, we'll put the big road through there, we'll we'll allow the toxic shops, like the betting offices, the booze shop, the junk food shops, the junk food burger king, and all that. All of that gets put in the working class areas, you know, so they haven't got a good understanding. The waste collection services, uh, you know, all the All the pressure is put on people to spend their time washing up their rubbish and putting it into different categories and doing this, that and the other, you know, messing around with rubbish. When working class people tend to be very, very busy, they might have different jobs. They don't have people to do things for them, like decorate their room, mend their curtains, all of that. Most of it you've got to do yourself, even sometimes the car mechanics and stuff. So people tend to be rushed off their feet. And they're messing around with all this recycling stuff instead of just reducing the packaging or not having the packaging. We don't need all this packaging. It's for the advertisers. So, you know, that's another policy. We've had the energy policies, which is quite individualistic. It's about getting a solar panel on your roof. And then we had that was being subsidized by the energy bills. So the energy bills were going up. People are already not being able to pay their energy bills. Like I said, that we've got this fuel poverty. And then they're subsidizing middle class people to have solar panels on their houses. So that wasn't adding up. We saw the Gilets in France, where they went ballistic because the fuel taxes were being put up. Because if you were out on these outer estates, that with gentrification, people are being sent to the outskirts of the cities, very expensive. To pay to come in the buses is usually unaffordable where i live people are forced to get cars because the bus is so expensive to get into the center and it doesn't go where you want it to go uh, it goes you know and if you've got jobs where you've got work nights and stuff it, you know for various reasons working class people are actually more in need of cars and and therefore the fuel tax was particularly difficult for them so that wasn't a policy that was joined up so Very often the policymakers are not thinking of a joint in a joined up way, unlike the Green New Deal, which does think in a joined up way about the policies. So we need to change who the policymakers are, which means better access for working class people to education. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here we've got these extremely high costs of um, student fees and grants and everything. And I mean, the only reason that I managed to get myself an education was it was free at the time. And they actually paid me. There's no way I would have thought of getting into debt. You know, it's not something that working class people easily do, because how are you going to pay it back when you've just got a hand to mouth job? <laughs> you know, you can't. You're not going to get an inheritance someday, probably. So, you know, you can't think about things like that.
1: Interesting, too, you said about the the recycling. Now, I think it's mainly women who have that burden of recycling because the women sort of run the household. So it's an extra burden for a woman who's probably got young children and is working as well and then has to come home and start washing out the plastic milk
0: containers. Exactly, yeah. I mean, it is women and it it is... (sighs) It's just unbelievably soul-destroying thing to do because to have to wash up every time you consume something, you've got to wash the the container that it's in, which you didn't even really want anyway. We used to get the milk delivered on the milk float with glass milk bottles. In fact, they still do that, but it's a little bit more expensive. So people are going to go to the supermarket and the supermarkets are doing it as, um, what do they call it, Um, where they don't actually cover their costs. They're just using it to get people into the shop because it's something people will buy. So so the milk float people can't compete with that. Maybe it needs to be subsidised on the milk floats, you know, as a way of doing it. We just need to think of, you know, exciting innovative policies. They managed it with the COVID-19, didn't they? They managed to work out new ways of doing things which they never thought that anyone would be willing to do. And they were, you know, if you, if you support people to do it and the money's there to do it, then they'll do it.
1: So what are some of the solutions to
0: these problems? The solutions? Well, I think I've said some along the way. The Green New Deal as a policy area, all that's contained in that, at least as it presented itself with the Democrats' Sunrise Movement and the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn, I have to say under Jeremy Corbyn because it's lurching back to how it was under Tony Blair. Yeah, so that to me is the solution, everything's in that. And um, in here, in this book, I go through a lot of uh, a lot of different solutions, everything from make um, class an equalities issue, because we have these protected characteristics in law, which cover various different issues, but class, it, no. It's not included. So you can discriminate against somebody on the basis of class. So a lot of these things I've raised, like if they'd have treated me like that in that Green Party meeting, I could have said, hang on a second, you're d- discriminating against people because you're making it more difficult for them to access this Green Waste Service because they can't afford it. You know, So a lot of the things to do with poverty would gradually have to be eradicated. I mean, it would be very, very radical. make it into a protected characteristic but it would be good another thing I talk about is build an eco social state based on sharing which basically means a state where you know the government does take responsibility for holding the environmental crisis like it has with the COVID-19 like they do invest in things that need investing in they organize things they regulate they say none of this but at the same time they make it work socially so that people have better lives you know things like repair cafes where people can learn to repair stuff and I mean that happens now but middle class people give their time and then you have to sit there I mean I went to one you know I sat there for a whole day and I thought well most working class people will not be able to do this I did get my CD player fixed which is impossible to get it fixed in the capitalist marketplace because You could more cheaply buy a CD player, but they did fix it. It didn't last much longer. It lasted about six months, but (laughs) it took me a whole day of waiting, you know. But, you know, we could reskill ourselves. We could have jobs, paid jobs of people fixing stuff like they still do in some poor countries of the world. So, you know, there's enormous amount of solutions and I go through them all in this book, Working Class Environmentalism. I've also got another book coming out soon called um, Diversity and Inclusion in Environmentalism. I'm the editor, but I've got people from different backgrounds writing the different chapters. So I've got um, an older person writing a chapter on equalities issues with env- environmentalism relating to older people. Um, f- f- someone from the LGBTQ plus community community writing about environmental issues to do with that community or communities as they tend to be um, and you know the di- some of the different equalities issues and you have about eight of them um, within this book that's coming out so there'll be more solutions in there about how mainstream environmentalists can incorporate different types of people and also at a policy level the working class environmentalism is more about a policy level what we need to do
1: now it was interesting because you were speaking about um, people's housing situation and i did see a documentary recently I, i think it was on somebody who was a millionaire and he was going into a very poor area and he was just seeing the way that people were living one thing that seems to be uh, quite a big issue um, in the UK is people living in government housing, and he was quite horrified at the situation with mould growing because of the moisture and very you know thin windows, no double glazing, not enough insulation, children being quite ill with asthma. That seems to be a big issue as well around environmental issues because if houses were properly insulated and had double glazing and you know better heating systems you probably wouldn't be using as much energy to heat them would you?
0: Yeah exactly that's the sort of policy that ties up the social and environmental issues um, but the, on the whole the house the, the, the social housing from the The council, the government housing is pretty good, actually. I mean, I'm living in one, um, which was because Margaret Thatcher sold them off. So I bought it after someone else had bought it because they were the only houses you could get at the time um, that were affordable to people like me. But generally, they tend to be good houses and well looked after. Where the problem starts to come in is the ones that have been sold off because they sold them off so cheaply to people. People didn't have the money to maintain them so often. I mean, it's always a headache maintaining this house. It really is. Until I got an academic job where I'm sort of paid well. But before that, whereas we were brought up in a council house, you know, it belonged to the council, we paid rent and people came and fixed stuff if it needed it, you know. Uh, So it was excellent. You didn't have to save up to stop the chimney falling through your roof like I had to here save up 800 quid um it was all done you know so they're good but where people have bought the houses they can't maintain it and then you can get all these problems and also um the private sector you know which people are now because they're not building any more council houses and they sold off the ones that exist um not all of them but some of them uh you know people are having to rent from the private sector and then it's much more difficult to get stuff fixed because uh you know there's sometimes little accountability people don't even know their landlord is sometimes um and because there, there is a shortage there's not actually a shortage of houses as buildings because some people a lot of people have got these second homes so if you took into account the second homes so we wouldn't have a housing shortage and there's a lot of empty flats because people are seeing them as investments so there's row upon row of empty office uh, blocks of flats in London which are owned by oligarchs in, in these rich you know from rich people from around the world who maybe use it for the odd night when they come to London I don't know but so it's not so much a housing building crisis as a housing access crisis This is what I think, but a lot of people would not agree with me about that. So, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't already covered? No, I think that I've covered everything. Thank you. (laughs) Everything I can think of for now, anyway. Do you have any future study plans within this field? Not exactly. I mean, I'm quite focused on what I'm doing at the moment, trying to get out this next book about the inclusion in the environmental movement. I'm very interested in just transition, which I didn't mention the trade union approach to transitioning to sustainability. I've written a little bit about that, but I want to do more research on that. And, um, uh, you know, I've had various bids in, but they haven't been funded, I think, because of the COVID-19 thing. A lot of the funding seems to be going to that, Um, because to me, I can't understand why you wouldn't fund that. Um, But. Yeah, that's what I'm really interested in is the trade union approach. I definitely think we need to be doing more with the unions because that is working class environmentalism, you know, pure and simple. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that. Um, okay, we'll just briefly, because um, I'm going to have to go soon. Um, yeah, it's just uh, the trade unions come up with this idea of just transition, which is about how to make sure that... Um, there are jobs and the, you know, in the transition to sustainability that people are not going to suffer. So it's mainly constructed around work, obviously, because it's coming from the trade unions. So it's uh, having replacement jobs, green jobs, but good, decent green jobs, um, or having, you know, some level of income to cover people, to have the training during the transition and, um, a good think through about what kind of work we actually really need to do and what we can actually stop doing because it's environmentally harmful and not very socially useful harm, not very socially useful. So it's a lot of governments have subscribed to it now, including my own, but I don't know what they're doing about it. Um, Under the Silesia Declaration that was signed in Poland last year, I think, So, yeah, it's a really interesting area going forward. But, like I say, trying to get the funding for it hasn't been easy.
1: Oh, well, I hope this study goes quite well. And thanks very much for coming onto the program today.
0: Thank you very much for listening and for giving me a space to talk about these things.
1: And I've been speaking with Dr. Karen Bell about a working class green movement. Hope you've enjoyed the program. And do stay tuned for Swing and Sway.